Hello everyone. Welcome to Pharmacy Magazine's In Conversation With podcast, where we spend some time talking in depth to the leading personalities on pharmacy's front line. My name is Richard Thomas, and in this episode I talk to PSNC Chief Executive Simon Dukes. Extracts from this interview first appeared on our Talking Pharmacy podcast of August the 31st. Now, a week is a long time in politics, in pharmacy, a lot can happen in 24 hours. I recorded this interview with Simon on Thursday, August the 27th, the day before the announcement about the hepatitis C testing service and the release of the pharmacy flu vaccination service specification. That service has now launched, of course, even though we're still awaiting a decision on how much contractors will be paid for providing it. And details were also published about the pharmacy quality scheme and PSNC issued a statement on the right review. So events are moving very quickly in pharmacy at the moment and actually post-date parts of this interview. Nevertheless, we had a very interesting and open discussion covering a range of issues, such as the current funding situation in the week that PSNC wrote to Pharmacy Minister Joe Churchill, making the case yet again for an urgent funding uplift and for money to cover COVID costs. No news yet. We talked about whether contractors should have to pay back the £370 million in advance funding received during the COVID crisis, and why Simon thinks contractors should stop offering services for free. We also spent some time talking about the right review of contractor representation and support, and the state of PSNC's relationships with its various stakeholders, including NHSC and the government, and also other pharmacy bodies. But I started by asking Simon, with everything that has been going on, just what the last five months have been like for PSNC. There have been challenges for us in trying to get, especially at the start of the pandemic, trying to get so many messages out. If you think of all the things that we were discussing with NHS E&I and the department, getting all those messages out, getting things agreed and finalised. Um, when, when frontline community pharmacies and their teams and their staff are completely focused on delivery, patients, queues of people coming out the door, you know, uh, angry people, frightened people, they're dealing with all that. And we're saying, oh yeah, can you read this? Uh, you know, because this is really important. And, and I think you're right in that trying to use different ways of communicating. I did a couple of uh, video blogs myself. Uh, we're using written blogs, we're using audio, we're using um, uh, webinars, uh, trying to give people as many different options as they can to listen or watch or however they take in information and read, um, just to try and get the information through. Uh, but because we know how busy it has been on the front line. I, and it's been crazy, hasn't it? But the sector has performed uh, heroically, really, and, and we, we can discuss that, that later. Um, so, Simon, what are your thoughts on the, the current funding situation? Um, on Wednesday, you, you wrote to, to Joe Churchill making the case uh, again for an urgent funding uplift for contractors and for money to cover COVID costs. And you, you've been arguing for more money for, for several months now. No joy as yet. What, what's the sticking point? Well, you know, this is a negotiation, Richard, and, and you know, we, uh, it, it is... You know, the, the information that we're getting from 
uh, community farms and contractors is that it's you know, financially uh, very, very difficult indeed for, for many, the majority. Um, and that means that uh, you know, we have been collecting that data and been pushing very hard indeed for uh, an increase in funding to the, the, um, the contractual framework. I mean, you know, when you look at just prior to um, COVID, uh, just after Christmas, we were still talking about 11,500 community pharmacies in England. Um, we're now talking about 11,400 community pharmacies, you know, 11,414. Um, and uh, that, uh, that, you know, reduction is, is going to continue. And some, some of it is quite high profile. We've seen um, some of the largest chains uh, talking about uh, the type of um, uh, realisation they're going to have to do and, and reductions. Uh, and uh, we know that there are other contractors out there, smaller chains and uh, independents who are looking to, uh, to, to close. And, and that is you know, incredibly uh, sad and not right. It's, you know, we need funding uh, for all 11,000, now 414. They are all valuable. They're all part of the network. They are all performing a, a service for their community, and we need every single one of them. So the so the 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 arguments that we've made to the minister and to the department, to treasury, um, is to show that the the value that the network provides, but also through as much data as we can provide to uh, the treasury in particular. On uh, on how much pharmacies are being used, and the uh, PSNC community pharmacy audit that took place in July uh, has been a really valuable source of that information as well. Well, here's what I think contractors are, are, are struggling to understand, um, given everything you said. You, you've had Simon Stevens and Matt Hancock promising right at the start of the COVID crisis to do whatever it takes, almost money no object. Ministers have heaped praise on, on community pharmacy time and again for its heroic efforts during the pandemic. And Rishi Sunak's mother was a pharmacist, for goodness sake, for negotiating. That, that seems a, a pretty good hand. So what's the missing card? Uh, there is no doubt that health ministers, uh, Joe Churchill, Matt Hancock in particular, have, are supportive. Um, and uh, and you've seen that in the the messages that they've put out to the sector. And I, I genuinely think they're not being disingenuous. They are supportive of community pharmacy. Um, the Treasury and officials, of course, hold the purse strings, and that is where the challenge is. Um, and that is uh, a big part of of what we have to do is yes, negotiation, but also interpretation of the sector, of the financial constraints that the sector is experiencing, of the value that the sector brings to community, to primary care, uh, to get that across to people whose uh, role is not uh, you know, in health, it is in money and economy. Uh, and as a country in two trillion pounds debt, <clears throat> they are clearly uh, being uh, justifiably, I guess, um, 
constrained in what they can provide. But we believe very strongly that we've got uh, a very convincing case and, and there is no doubt that community pharmacy has had underfunding for years before my time. Uh, it continues the contractual framework, five years, which in terms of the direction of travel, uh, I still believe is the right one. But what we've seen is the delivery of services, the delivery of, of, of along the route of that contractual framework, um, really faster than I think any of us anticipated as a result of COVID, and also um, without the inbuilt efficiencies that the contractual framework uh, alluded to. And so we're in a position now, as I said, the pharmacy audit uh, shows a lot of that data as well. We're in a position now where people are going to their community pharmacy first uh, and seeking uh, clinical advice. I believe that the, the numbers that we're seeing are over and beyond what we can reasonably expect through terms of service. Uh, and moreover, the, the numbers involved, uh, when you look at them in the round, are effectively saving thousands and thousands of appointments at general practice, thousands and thousands of visits to health centres, to A&E every single week. Uh, and we've got to get across to um, uh, Treasury via uh, the Department and NHS England uh, that this has a worth to them uh, and, uh, and we need to be paid appropriately for the, for the for the work that we're doing. Do you have any red lines in, in this negotiation? I mean, you, you can't, I don't think, take the DH to court again. I think that, that, that doesn't work. And you mentioned in this week's statement that you're prepared to reject offer after offer. Um, so how do you, do you break this impasse? Well, look, we're, the clues in the name. Uh, we're, the, we're the negotiating committee. We're not the rolling over committee, and we we have to, you know, uh, we we are representing every single one of those now eleven thousand four hundred fourteen uh, community pharmacies, and that means that uh, sometimes we uh, will not agree things um, because it's not we believe in the interests of the sector as a whole to do so, and if that does mean Unfortunately, prolonging negotiation when I know that contractors need clarity on so many different business critical issues. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I, I apologize for that, but that's not why we're here. We're here to try and get the best possible deal. And, and that sometimes takes time and we can't, and we don't always succeed clearly. But um, uh, it, I know how frustrating it must seem when Yet again, we are getting close to deadlines, we're getting close to rollout of different services, and there's still not clarity. And, and sometimes that's just because we have been unable to agree um, uh, things that are, you know, that are being proposed. Given that the current funding levels in, in PSNC's own words are, are unsustainable, just how perilous is the, the situation, the financial situation that contractors find themselves in at the moment, especially given COVID. And you, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that pharmacy numbers are beginning to slide. I mean, do you, would you see that, anticipate that slide continuing? 
Well, that's that's our concern. You know, we we've said before that we're seeing unsustainable uh, tactics by some uh, uh, contractors to um, to remain in business, and that that shouldn't have to happen. Um, uh, and inevitably, as things progress, we will see uh, uh, the, um, uh, the smaller contractors certainly telling us that they're they're struggling, that they're they're not covering the cost of capital, they're not being able to, you know, and therefore sometimes that we're seeing uh, worn out assets being unable to be replaced, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, I mean, it's it's a classic sign, and uh, and and as a result, then you end up with reducing service levels to patients as a result. So, you know, it is a huge concern to us and, um, and rightly so. And uh, as you know, uh, a few days ago, I called for people to consider stopping um, certain services that were free. And, um, and I know that was controversial for some people. And uh, I received a lot of emails on that subject, uh, both pro the statement and against. Um, and, you know, this is not me trying at all to tell anyone how to run their business. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that this is about value. Um, and, uh, you know, if you do not pay for something, it is often the case that you do not value it. And I genuinely think that we've struggled with this as a sector for years. Not just the blood pressure checking that I was talking about, which seems to be an increasing phenomenon from the emails that we're getting, but also uh, deliveries and, of course, uh, monitored dosage, dosage systems as well. And uh, I mean, you know, you take um, uh, take blood pressure checking. You know, if a if a GP, and this is not in any way um, a, critic, a criticism of, of general practice or GPs at all. Um, you're a GP, you're sitting there and you want to have the blood pressure measurements of one of your patients. There are only so many options open to you, right? You, you, can, um, you can get the person to come into your general practice and, and take it yourself. You can get the person to come into your general practice and get one of your staff to take it, uh, one of the practice staff. Uh, you can send somebody, or indeed go yourself, to the patient's home and take it there, or you can persuade the patient to somehow acquire or purchase a blood pressure monitoring machine themselves, take their own measurements, and hopefully provide you with the right ones um, uh, by phone or email or whatever. All four of those options require effort, time, cost, uh, but certainly impact on the GP and or the GP staff. And therefore, they absolutely understand that there is a, a value associated with that. If you just say, go to your local pharmacy, get them to do it and, and phone the measurements through to me, there's no, there's no impact on me at all. There's no effort required uh, on the GP. And therefore, there's no... Um, uh, value associated with that service. And what I'm saying is that we need to uh, ensure that these services, which have a value to the patient, to uh, the local community, to the, to the uh, prescriber, 
they need to be recognized uh, and uh, you know the and and sometimes you, know, you have to draw a line somewhere i think there's also a conversation to be had with uh, primary care networks with gps with um, local authorities and others to see how you know if they value these services then that we can provide a worth to them as well so it was it was starting a conversation i appreciate that it was uh, a bit stark in what i was saying but I do genuinely believe, and I've, I've been saying since I arrived here, as you know, that um, in this role, that uh, we do do too many things uh, for free. And, uh, and there's been mission creep over the years uh, on, on exactly that. I do understand, don't get me wrong, I do understand the difference between community pharmacy and NHS. You know, NHS staff are paid for their time primarily of course and it's different community pharmacy has to uh, weigh up uh, the bottom line it has to ensure that it it maintains the loyalty of patients uh, and footfall and, and and in order to do that it sometimes has to go over above and beyond and that's great service for the patient um, but that has a cost associated with it and of course it is balancing that activity with cost that I was trying to get across. Yeah, I'm sure many contractors would agree with the sentiment of, of, of what you said. I mean, why, why should they have to pick up the cost for some of these things? I suppose the difficulty is I'm not quite sure how you might put this into practice, maybe without compromising patient care or, or, or reputation. And, and in fact, free deliveries seem to be um, undergoing something of a resurgence for, um, from what we've seen in recent weeks. So uh, it's tricky, but, but patient behaviours have definitely changed during COVID and you, you've, you've talked about that before. Um, one more question on, on funding. Um, you've stated that contractors uh, should not have to pay back the £370 million of advanced funding and, and it, it should be written off against COVID costs. Is, is that still the case? And is, is, still, is that still part of your your negotiation? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we've said that that 370 million needs to be written off against COVID related costs. That's still our position. That's still what we are uh, negotiating for currently. So there's, there is some you know, clearly boundaries that I can go to on that. Um, our view is that they, yeah, of course, there were COVID related costs, a lot of them right at the start of the pandemic. But those COVID-related costs continue right right now, you know, and will continue uh, certainly for the for the rest of the calendar year and probably the financial year. Uh, we are still capturing those costs from contractors, uh, and I'm grateful to all contractors who have contributed both directly to PSNC but also through colleagues at NPA and AIM and CCA who have all been working with us to, to uh, capture and collate that data so that we can get a sense of what the cost, the true cost of uh, COVID-19 is to, uh, to community pharmacy. Um, and, uh, and we'll continue to push um, for um, those costs to be uh, recognized. 
And moving on to, to the contract, Simon, where are we as far as the, the timescale for the, the next review um, of the contractual framework and the introduction of the services that were due to coming from about now, um, hepatitis C, discharge medicines, GP referral into the CPCS? Where are we with, with the process? Um, uh, well, the, you'll have seen some of the uh, recent um, uh, communications that have come out from uh, PSNC, the Hep C service in particular, when that's going to be rolled out, the discharge medicine service, which is going to be a very valuable service, it seems to me, for the NHS to help align patients' medication when they come out of hospital. Uh, that's going to be rolled out next year, I believe, uh, January 21. Um, so uh, those things are moving along. Um, uh, clearly, NHS and I uh, value the uh, community pharmacist consultation service because they want to um, uh, roll out the GP referral uh, aspect of that um, sooner rather than later, and we're discussing that with them right now. So again there will be some limitations on what I can say. So I think that we are, uh, we are moving in the right direction in terms of the, uh, all of those uh, different services as, as set out in the contractual framework. My concern is, as I said to you earlier, that, um, that things have changed. The contractual framework uh, wasn't written with a pandemic in mind and um, the world's changed. Community pharmacy and the role of community pharmacy and the view of community pharmacy from patients within communities has uh, been enhanced as well, very uh, clearly, and uh, and that means that we need an uplift to the contractual sum, not just for that, but also because the efficiencies that were built in to that contractual framework over five years clearly have not come through. So, yes, it's it's work ongoing. There are some visual aspects of that, some visible aspects of the, uh, the contractual framework as we've seen um, with uh, the discharge medicine service, with the GP referrals, with Hep C, and there will be other things that will uh, materialize over the course of the next few months and years. We've also got to balance the rollout of these services with the incredibly pissy work that it, you know community pharmacies find themselves in, especially at the moment where on the verge of the next flu season, the biggest ever flu uh, rollout, uh, I believe this country's ever seen. I mean, there'll be uh, plenty of experts out there who'll tell me whether that's right or not, but you know, that is gonna be an enormous amount of work for us uh, and uh, as a sector, but also of course, general practice and others. So um, we've got to make sure that we are not uh, overloading community pharmacy with the asks that clearly are piling up um, uh, within NHSEI, the department, um, as a result of the, uh, of the contractual framework. Yes, and of course, it's not ideal that we're still waiting for the service specification for the, the flu vaccination service when it, it, it's due to kick off next week. I mean, it's going to be logistically challenging enough as it is. So um, that's unfortunate. Contractors obviously waiting for that um, with a degree of urgency. Yes, and you know we there are some uh, clear asks on that uh, that we've uh, put out as you know to to have 
uh, more flexibility um, in uh, providing the um, flu vaccination, um, but also, of course, the funding as well. And um, uh, we, we are discussing that as we speak. Could we move on to the Wright Review um, to finish? When you asked Professor Wright last year, I think, uh, to look at contractor representation and support, did you expect him to propose the, the biggest transformation of pharmacy representation in England in a generation? And, and are contractors engaging in the process? I mean, how many responses have you had, for example, to the, to the four questions that you ask contractors? on the way forward. And I think you're expecting responses by um, beginning of next week. Is everyone engaging? Uh, yes, we've had a lot of uh, response. Um, the, uh, clearly, we, Professor, or Associate Professor Michael Twig, who was one of um, David Wright's team, um, is overseeing this process so that we can ensure that it is fair and transparent and open. Um, so the responses clearly are, going, are channeled into him. So I don't know quite how many responses we've had or whatever, and I haven't spoken to him about it. But uh, my sense is that people have responded. We've had position statements from uh, other pharmacy bodies, which I think is really helpful, actually, um, and understandable, I think, both from the, clearly from the CCA aim perspective, they will want to make sure that their their uh, pharmacies, their frontline pharmacies and representatives are are reflecting the views of the of their contractor, their, their head offices, and equally the MPA quite rightly is looking to corral the you know the disparate group of independent pharmacies as well and and help them to provide a response too. So I see all of these things as positive. Um, your initial question was, did I foresee David to come up with something quite so radical? Uh, well, I guess probably not specifically, but I think that uh, it, what I did expect him to do, which I think he did very well indeed, is to identify the issues that we are grappling with as a sector from a representational and support perspective. Um, and uh, he has done that incredibly well, I think, personally. Uh, and uh, we need to work together collaboratively to find the best way forward. And I think that's, I get the sense that that's what a lot of the responses uh, will be doing and looking to do. And uh, of course, we've got the LPC conference on the 16th of September, uh, at which there'll be a part of it that will be a discussion on the response to those four questions and the next steps. What do you think is the, the right balance between contractor representation, between national and local, given the way the NHS primary care is organised? And who should be accountable to contractors for local delivery? Um, I think it's probably not for me to say specifically, give you an answer to that question, uh, because Clearly, that debate's ongoing. Um, PSNC will be issuing its statement based on the committee views uh, on the four questions uh, in the next few days. Uh, I think that when I first arrived here 
the uh, description that I had, or I had absorbed in some way, was that this is all about local versus national, national versus local. And it's not, you know, it is local and national, national and local. What we, what we agree, what we negotiate, what we, we manage to do at a national level has a direct impact on the ground uh, in local areas, of course it does. And I think that um, uh, we need to ensure that we are building on some great work that we've done over the, uh, over the COVID period, uh, but before as well, to uh, ensure that, with, that PSNC and LPCs are working as closely as possible together, um, and that there's better transparency and visibility of the work that we're doing, the issues that we're grappling with, so people can understand. But also, I think it's about um, uh, ensuring that we've got uh, shared objectives and the part of the, um, the LPC conference on the 16th of September, part of that will be, and if the, the, the message may have gone out, or if it hasn't, it'll be soon, which is saying to LPCs, tell us what you think our priorities should be over the next six to 12 months. We know what we're working on very clearly, uh, but what do you think our priorities should be? And let's try and work on those together. Uh, and I think building on that uh, and working together, local and national, makes us a lot stronger. So uh, there's a... You know, there's a lot of advantages to be had. Uh, is David Wright's structure that he's come up with the right one? Uh, I genuinely don't know. It's for all of us to decide whether or not it will work uh, and how it should be done. Um, but I think from an issues perspective, he has clearly identified uh, the, uh, you know, certainly from my perspective, all the issues that I was aware of. And uh, as we found at the last uh, meeting on this uh, LPC meeting to discuss uh, David Wright back in July, I think it was. You know, the, the polls that we took at the end, uh, pretty much everyone agreed that uh, David had identified the key issues. Uh, so uh, that, that's going to be a really good platform to build on. And the LPC conference next month being, by the sound of it, an important staging post then in terms of where the, the process goes from here. Yes, those four, there are four questions that I set at the, the start of this month, start of August, and uh, that's what obviously MPACCA aim and LPCs and PSNC will have put uh, views and uh, uh, responses to those questions. And uh, Michael Twig uh, from the UVA will be assimilating and bring together all that uh, and presenting what the findings uh, at the at the conference on the 16th of September. And I hope that out of that then, there will be a way forward on how we can start to plan a, a, you know, a particular route to get to uh, a better place. Uh, and of course, central to that is money. That's why question one was about money. You know, we've got to work out how we pay for this um, and, um, you know, and that's uh, and that's not going to be easy, but uh, we, we ultimately everything comes down to the money. And one final question, Simon. 
You said when you started at PSNC that rebuilding relationships was your, your first priority. So can I ask, how are those relationships now? And, and does that period in 2015 to 2018 have any hangover, if you like, in terms of what happens next for contractors in England? Um, the, I mean, I mentioned earlier that the um, relationships, I think, with health ministers, the Secretary of State uh, and the sector are very good. Um, I believe they are supportive. They've said many supportive things, uh, and uh, that is really encouraging. And certainly the conversations that I have with them are also equally encouraging and supportive. Um, we have, uh, you know, I, I do have, uh, I believe, a good open relationship with the department and, and HSEI uh, people as well as indeed PSNC uh, staff do here. Uh, and that is really important. We disagree on a lot of things, as you could expect. But that doesn't mean to say that we don't have uh, clear and open communication channels between us. We have to if, if we're going to negotiate. And I said earlier that this is about not just negotiating, but interpreting the sector sometimes to officials, not necessarily the ones that we deal with every day, but the ones within you know, the finance departments of the department or of health or, or NHSEI or officials within Treasury. They're the ones who need really to understand more about how community pharmacy works and the pressures on it, <clears throat> the value of community pharmacy, um, and, and the data that we can provide to help us in that process is, uh, of course, vital. So uh, I think that the relationships have improved um, and they need to continue to be solid as they can. Um, we work not just with uh, those individuals, but of course, parliamentarians as well, both uh, as PSNC, but also as part of the all party parliamentary group, which is funded by uh, not just PSNC, but also MPA, CCA, AIM, and the RPS. Um, and uh, I know that uh, the APPG has put out some uh, very useful statements. Uh, Jackie Doyle Price, the chair of that APPG, has said and has written some uh, some good articles on community pharmacy as well. And, and so this is a uh, this is a collective effort uh, in uh, in ensuring that the the relationships that we have with all our stakeholders, um, government, other primary care, BMA, RCGP, you know, you name it, uh, are as good and as effective as we possibly can. Well, Simon, that's a, a positive message there, I think, to end the interview. And certainly, I think over recent months, pharmacy's profile due in no small part maybe to COVID uh, has raised uh, considerably and it's good to hear that those relationships are getting stronger and that that bodes well for the future. Um, thank you so much for joining us on, on the pod this week. Uh, I know how busy you are, especially at the moment. We do appreciate your time. Um, thanks again, Simon. Very welcome, Richard. Good to speak to you. So that was Simon Dukes there and many thanks to Simon for coming onto the pod. We would be very interested in hearing your comments about the interview. You can contact us on Twitter using the Talking Pharmacy hashtag. 
And just a reminder that this interview is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and also from your usual podcast provider. All the issues that Simon talked about are covered in Pharmacy Magazine and Pharmacy Network News. And the Talking Pharmacy podcast will be back again next week as usual. But for now, from me, thanks very much for listening.